Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers and creators. I'm Robbie Hicks. And I'm Lockie Bradford. Well, today is Monday and that means we're getting to know the people behind the stories. We talk to guests from all walks of life and unpack what makes them special. We are naturally curious, Rob. Well, that is what makes us special. Anyway, we could talk about ourselves all day, but Monday's episodes are all about our guests. Let's find out who we're talking to today. On today's podcast, we have Big Bad Timothy Fung, CEO and founder at Airtasker. This cat's been doing it for 10 years plus. Another awesome chat. You're going to love it. Enjoy. Tim, thank you so much for jumping on and chatting with us today on the Funny Finally Business got him Podcast. On. We got him. I've been so excited. Tim, I haven't been able to sleep. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm just so excited. He's interrupted me. But for those, <laughs> for those listening at home, tell us who are you and what do you do? Uh, so I'm Tim Fung. I'm the co-founder and the CEO at Airtasker. Well, it's so good to have you on, Tim, because when we first started our business, Obi & Co., do you remember that, Rob? We were all over Airtasker because we knew how to do nothing, but we wanted to start a brand. And Airtasker was It was, it was like for gold for us. Yeah. So to have you on now is just so fucking surreal. And to, to hear that you've been doing it for 10 plus years before we just click record, you said pretty much now 11 or something like that, but you've been at it a long time. So where did the idea come from? Yeah. Yeah, so um, back in 2011, I was working on another startup. I had the fortunate uh, role of being able to work for an, another entrepreneur, a man named Peter O'Connell, and I'm um, the CEO of a, the company called uh, Rolf Hansen, and we were building a company called Amazim. Um, so I had the fortunate uh, position of being able to be um, an assistant to, to the chairman and the CEO and, and see how everything happens from the ground up. Uh, I was uh, moving apartments, and I asked a mate of mine to come and help me move, um, he runs a, a factory which makes chicken nuggets, frozen chicken nuggets. So he's got a refrigerated truck that he uses to do uh, deliveries. So, Tim, you're uh, talking asked, Locke's language there. Do you still have access to the chicken nuggets? Yeah, yeah, he's the best man at my wedding and he's, he's, he's like my best mate. So, um, yeah, he, uh, we put everything in the back of his, of his truck, moved it down the road. And this just got us thinking. It's like, why do you ask friends and family to do all these kinds of things when, you know, there's so many people out there who would want to, you know, be able to earn an income by, by doing these kinds of jobs. And there just wasn't an easy way for you to be able to connect with, with people in a way that you could, you could trust them enough. And so uh, that's, that was the idea for Airtasker. And of course, it took us about nine months before we had the idea to, to actually building something. Well, how do you build that trust then? How do you build a trustworthy platform that people go, yeah, I want to get on board and, and have these people? Like, how do you vet them? Like, do you, it's obviously not ex-cons coming from prison going, Hey, blah, 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 come in here and all that type of stuff. Like, what is, how do you get people on board? What was that process like, especially early doors? Yeah, so we um, describe ourselves as being um, open and infinitely horizontal as a marketplace. And what we mean by being an open marketplace is that rather than us trying to control people and tell them what to do and um, things like that and have like manual process around that, rather we empower people and then we have a system of transparency and accountability. And what I mean by that is transparency. So when you post a job up on Airtasker, other people are in the community and can see that job being uh, posted. Um, And accountability, meaning that you have a profile on Airtasker, it's linked to either your mobile phone number, your bank account, or your credit card, which means you are you. And what happens when you create a system like that is that people don't want to do the wrong thing. People will post a job and they're like, oh, well, I know that I am me and everyone will know that I am me. And so, you know, if I post a job that's a bit, you know, that's silly or I don't do a good job on, on something, 
that um, that's going to that's going to follow me around and be part of my um, be part of my profile. And so, by creating a system like that, we can empower people to do lots of stuff on Airtasker. And you know, in ninety nine point nine five percent of the time, um, that works out really really well. Oh, have you seen any like data on? Do you have anyone doing like Airtasker stuff like full time? Is their full time job of like they would spend their whole week just doing yeah. odd jobs like that? When did that start happening? Well, first of all, like Airtask has sort of evolved. You know, we started out purely doing uh, odd jobs because um, that was where we we had our secret sauce. Like on, you couldn't go to any other platform to get someone to get a drone out of a tree or a possum out of a light fitting. And so you would come to Airtasker. Um, but what we've seen is that evolves over time because as the trust builds in the network and people start to have you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of reviews against their name, you start trusting them for like, oh, um, you know, we could do trades work through here. And so we see a lot of things like plumbers and electricians and gas fitters through Airtasker. But then that's gone even further now where on Airtasker, um, a lot of people do things like tax consultants, lawyers drafting legal agreements, um, architecture and surveying and things like that. So um, as the network builds, it gets more and more um, complex and sophisticated work. I'd love to get into the early days of creating the the marketplace itself or creating the platform and then going into what did you do to get people to start adopting either coming on, figuring out that's where they go for jobs or finding enough people to start submitting the jobs? Yeah. So, um, you know, my co-founder Jono is the, is the technical uh, person in the company. So he really led, um, you know, the product and engineering side of things to build uh, the, the, the platform, the infrastructure um, that enables the marketplace. But what we uh, immediately realized is that there's two parts of the product. There's one, what we call like the software, you know, the app, the website that enables um, you to be able to make payments and do stuff like that. But there's also what we call like the liquidity. It's actually like the people in the marketplace who want to respond. Like the number one thing when you post a task on an Airtasker is, did someone respond? How quickly did they respond? Were they, were they good? And so that immediately became the problem that we had to go and, and solve in building the marketplace. Um, one thing that was completely unstrategic, but, um, but we realized was a truism, was that the offer that, you know, what we were offering to the taskers on the platform was like a super rock star offer. And what I mean by that is that on a lot of platforms, you have to like pay to advertise yourself upfront. You know, you've got to pay... 200 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month to even appear on the website and see what's going on. And on Airtask, we're like, no, you can have that all for free. You'll just pay us a little bit if you actually make money. But you get all the access to the jobs, all the opportunity in the world for free. And so the supply side of the market kind of worked itself out. But the demand side of the market, getting customers to post jobs, that was the, that was the tricky thing. And you know, we're talking about grinding it out for 11 years. I think even three years in, we only had like a hundred jobs a day or something coming on to the to the platform, um, and so you know that was definitely a slow and uh, steady progress, and there was definitely like no silver bullets. It, was it a, like a behavioral change thing? Because I feel like back then in 2011, this is like 2011, 2012 when you're talking about oh, ten Uber. years ago. Yeah. This is still very much before I don't know, like smartphones and everything's out, but. The behavior hasn't been like that, like on demand type yeah, stuff. Yeah. Is that yeah, what that you struggled with early doors? Is because people weren't used to doing that. We were asking them to try something new for the first time. Yeah, I mean, like we describe it as like it's like you know you are kind of like creating a movement. You're like you got to convince people, hey, this is a different way that you can think about the world and a different way that you can actually get something done. You know, a lot of people would still think, oh, I've got a 
you know, a leaking, um, you know, a leaking uh, toilet or something like that. And they'd be like, oh, I immediately need to get a plumber. But actually another way of thinking about it is the problem is a leaking toilet. It could be that it's a plumber. Could also be it's somebody else who knows a thing or two about the toilet, you know, uh, brand. Or it could be someone who just, I had the same problem last week, you know, and I live next door to you. I'll come over and fix it for you. And so it is quite like a mindset change um, rather than just going like, how do I find a plumber in the yellow pages? It's more like, just tell people what your problem is and, and hear back what the solutions might be. Um, it's a pretty big change. Have you always wanted to build businesses and, and get involved in this type of work? Like, is it something that you grew up wanting to do? Because I, I can just sense that you're so passionate about uh, solving all these problems and all these, like, uh, just getting involved in that world, I suppose. But yeah, has it always been something that you've always had with you? Yeah, so I think um, building businesses has always been something that I have been interested in. So like, you know, during uni, uh, we started like a motorsport club, um, you know, renting out racetracks because we were kind of like, we can't afford to go to the racetrack. The only way that we're going to be able to afford it is if we rent the whole thing out and then get other people to subsidize us. So, um, you know, we started things like that. Um, we started a bespoke tailoring company I did with, uh, with my wife, uh, Modi. Uh, doing um, doing bespoke tailoring because we're just like, hey, you know, the cost of a suit in Australia is two thousand dollars. The cost of a suit, um, you know, made in 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 um, in China is probably three hundred dollars. There's clearly got to be a, a gap there. Um, so definitely like businesses. But what I have realized about Airtasker that um, that I am really passionate about is creating like an ecosystem and empowering other people um, to be able to do their best work. And I think that's what really excites me um, about Airtasker is it's not us making something. It's us making a platform and then other people going like, how could I use that? Like, what could I use Airtasker for? And, you know, just hearing the stories about like people making an income on Airtasker or, um, you know, people being made redundant from a job and being able to get onto Airtasker and make money from it. Um, that's what really, really uh, makes me passionate about what we do. Oh, the creator do, economy. Do, do, do you make the? Uh, do anyone who's joins Airtasker have to go and do a few stints, like fulfilling jobs? Is that like a mandatory <laughs> on, on, onboarding requirement? It's not, but we'd love to see more dog fooding happening. I've definitely done my uh, fair share of jobs uh, on the platform, and oh boy, I realized like how unfit I was in, in my kind of like desk job world. I remember I did a, a day where I had to do assemble twelve chairs clean a fish pond and then um and then clean out a fridge and um it was kind of hilarious because i was like knackered as and then i'd um signed up to do like a, a speech at a startup community um that night and i had one beer and i honestly was just ko'd like <laughs> i was oh, like no. that was a really bad idea to have a beer when you're that exhausted i reckon it would have taken lock three weeks to put down put 12 chair 12 oh, chairs together you can't even string a ah. sentence together huh? good burn obviously rob's on fire today timmy he's, he's, uh, he's what about what stuff. about some of the like things that obviously evolved 10 years in what are some you're of the an learnings? advisor you're an advisor at it we looked at your linkedin we saw it didn't we Rob? a yeah. lot of other marketplace companies but like i'll get into that part second but what are some of the changes that have happened that you've seen either being in the tech space being in the product space over that that time span yeah, so I guess, first of all, like um, when we were starting back in, in 2011, there wasn't so much, like there was definitely people doing some cool stuff. I mean, clearly the guys at Atlassian were already sort of uh, taking off at the time. Um, you know, there was some cool stuff happening, but there wasn't really much of like a startup ecosystem. So now, you know, when people go, oh yeah, I'm just raising a seed round and then I'll raise a series A, you know, in, in six months time, like none of that kind of existed. 
And so I think that was like really challenging because Airtasker was actually a pretty capital intensive business at the beginning. Like you can't get a marketplace off the ground. It's hard to get a marketplace off the ground bootstrapping. Um, so, you know, we needed to raise money early on and that sort of didn't exist. I think the second thing was like, nobody knew how to do any of this stuff well uh, back then. And there wasn't sort of like that generational sort of experience gained. And, and now it's really awesome because people will be like, oh yeah, you know, I did two years at, you know, at Canva and I got my craft of, you know, doing growth there. And then I went for two years at eBay and then two years at Afterpay and then, you know, uh, at Airtasker or whatever. Um, so you're getting like that multiple generational um, kind of experience coming through. And that, that, that's pretty cool because you're actually seeing stuff getting done at like a Formula One kind of level. Um, whereas, you know, when we started out, it was more kind of like, you know, how do you build a wireframe? You know, like, does anyone know, like, what's best practice for doing this? How do you do a customer interview well? Things like that. So, yeah, that, that experience is definitely um, increasing and it's, it's pretty awesome. How do you keep the pace now then? Obviously going from being a, a startup to now you're, you're, you're not that at 10 years in, keeping the pace, keeping the same intensity, the same dream, same, I don't know, growth goals. Do things change? Do priorities change? Vision change? Yeah, look, I think it's definitely challenging. I mean, definitely as a founder, um, you know, and a founder CEO, like things just keep changing every year. Like your job basically changes every single year. And I've kind of gone from, you know, at the very beginning, it's like literally do everything to, you know, just focus on, you know, mainly on growth and raising money. Um, and then, you know, going through building a bigger team and, you know, really getting into recruitment and how do you empower like other people to be able to do their jobs well. Um, to where we are now, and you know, we we're not super huge, but you know, we've got more than 200, 200 staff, and we're an ASX listed company. So you know, there's a lot of um, communication that you need to work on, and like fine tuning the way that you're telling the story, and that you're um, that you're actually aligning everyone to wanting the same stuff. So yeah, the job basically changes uh, every single year, and you know, I think um, most founders go on a journey, and you know, you got to figure out when you want to jump off that that journey and, and go on to the next thing. What is the hardest part of your role then? Do you like having known the fact that your role changes every year to keep things fresh and you keep learning? Is that, or is that a, a hard part? I reckon the most challenging part of my role uh, now is that, you know, as an entrepreneur, I probably got the, you know, I kind of want to just like tear into something and just like get into it. You know, like uh, mm. if this is the most important thing today, I just want to tear into, tear into it. Um, but you know, as the CEO, you've, um, it's probably not the best use of your time to always be doing that. You know, like um, you can add a lot of value if you're making everyone five or 10% stronger in what they're doing, um, as opposed to just getting in there and doing something yourself. So I think trying to balance, you know, perhaps like the, the natural kind of founder tendency to, to rip into stuff versus, versus having to empower and, and, and scale across a, a larger organization. Um, does, does that come with confidence too do you reckon like once you're comfortable in your role then you feel like hey i know these certain areas i can empower others because i feel like for me it's like the the control thing of knowing everything about it that's why i like having that control but i think once you've mastered it or you go through that journey you can feel it feel it's easier to empower others because you've i oh, know that type of game. i don't know for me that that's how i feel yeah i mean you definitely want to be able to like know your the craft of the people that you're you're managing but it's kind of impossible when you know it's as far as sort of like engineering product design marketing finance you know hr um so i think you've probably got to accept that most people are going to be t-shaped like 
you know, there's probably going to be one or two areas which you're, you know, deeply passionate about um, and, you know, really have your head across. And then in the other areas, you probably more want to just focus on like, you know, what does good look like? And, you know, um, manage someone against, against that, but you're probably not going to know all the details. Hopefully that thing that you're passionate about doing is also the thing that's really important for the company. And sometimes that's not the case. And sometimes that's why, you know, founders tap out and, you know, go, you know what, I don't need to be the CEO anymore. I'm going to go be the chief product officer, or I'm going to be the chief evangelist, or I'm going to be the, you know, um, uh, you know, the chief financial officer or whatever. So uh, that's definitely a, a journey. Hey, like mentioned before that you're an advisor on a few other, um, with a few other marketplace companies, we'd love to talk about marketplace as, as a model, as a business model, what attracts you about it? Why is it good? And, and is there still room for growth for people out there who might have some really good ideas and think they have got one up their sleeve? For sure. So yeah, I guess a shout out to some of the, the folks that I'm supporting. I think um, Float Space, um, uh, a marketplace for boat rentals. Um, car next door, they got acquired by Uber uh, this year. So that was pretty cool. They were doing car, um, peer-to-peer car rentals. And then um, one that I'm really excited about is Pushes um, Sneakers, which is um, doing a marketplace for um, streetwear and, um, and sneakers and, and scaling internationally. Um, so, so they're some of the, the marketplaces I look after uh, or, or help advise, I should say, not look after. Um, so what am I looking for in those? I think like having awesome founders, like working with other uh, marketplace founders is just really, really exciting. So yeah, working with the guys at Book and Artist, awesome founder, Pushers, Float Space, et cetera. Um, I really, really enjoy working with people who are passionate about what they're doing. Um, what attracts me to marketplace is like network effects and empowering other people to get stuff done um, or empowering other people to be able to monetize themselves. So in each of those cases, you know, what is a marketplace? It's basically like helping consumers get stuff done but not doing it yourself, empowering like um, a supplier, you know, a group of suppliers to be able to do that. Um, I really, really love that. Turns out that also, if you can get it to scale, it's also a really great business model because rather than doing everything yourself, you're, you know, enabling other people to do stuff. And, and generally that comes with pretty good margins. What about you personally? I feel like this is a, is this like the next step that you see your career taking that you're more involved with other businesses, you're taking on building your portfolio of things you're interested in, or is it going to be like, I'm, I'm giving most of my time to Airtasker for the, for the foreseeable future? Yes, well, I'm definitely the, the CEO of Airtasker and fully committed. No, no hot scoops here. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm an ASX, uh, you know, it got a lot of responsibility, you know, being an ASX listed uh, company, like, um, yeah, definitely uh, in the CEO seat and, and fully committed uh, to, to, to the role uh, here. Um, I guess, you know, longer term out, yeah, for sure. You, you want to think about, um, you know, broadening your uh, horizons and looking at other opportunities. So definitely starting to look at uh, things like that. But but for now, I'm I'm solidly in this job. How big is your sneaker collection? <laughs> um, not that big actually. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a tightwad on this one. I don't really buy sneakers for more than about two hundred bucks. Maybe two fifty would be my limit. And I think I think on pushes, you know, some of the Jordan kicks and stuff are kind of like in the four digits and stuff. So um, yeah, I can't really bring myself to to wearing them. Uh, although I did. I did have a mate make me um, a pair of Air Force Ones to com- commemorate um, uh, our IPO. Um, they, they were sick. Like they had Air Tasker hand painted and stuff on them. Uh, actually, it was the chicken truck guy um, uh, made me the sneakers. So that was pretty cool. But I, I don't want to wear them because they're too expensive. 
Yeah, I feel like once you get the a lot of people who collect sneakers, they all just live in a box. You know, yeah, if I get new shoes, bro, I'm wearing them. I'm wearing them in the exactly. puddles. I want everyone to see. You know, <laughs> I, I wanted to buy a pair of those. Um, you know, the Back to the Future, the Nike McFlys, and just yes. wear them around because it would yeah. actually be just awesome to walk around in those. Things. I feel like you're probably allowed to now. Yeah. Like if you turned up to the office and you rock new shoes every day, be like, oh, whatever. Tim's just doing his thing. That's you know, Tim. that's just Tim being Tim. You know. Yeah, just people would be murmuring in the background. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, our, our sponsor of the show, Heaps Normal, the question we ask all our guests is, uh, what's your version of Heaps Normal? What's the thing that you turn to when you're looking to get some energy back in your life? Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's um, the thing that gives me the most energy is honestly like meeting people in our community. So, um, and, and, and that's not just like a, a PR kind of thing. That's, that's like um, really, really genuine is it's hard work. Um, what we do Um, it's really really difficult work and um, what's really powerful is when you see the impact that you're having and actually meeting people um, that you're having the impact on so we were in a I was in the UK um, a couple of weeks ago in a in a pub in Mayfair and um, you know we had all the taskers uh, come in and the thing that was just like incredible for me was when um, a lot of them turned up and said oh I didn't know you were going to give us like t-shirts and like there was like you know free drinks and food and stuff I just wanted to come and say thanks for you know, making something that, that helps me make an income. And I was just like, that, that's so powerful. Um, yeah, really, really gave me a lot of energy. And, you know, as, as we were talking about before, the macro economy right now, it's not that great. You know, you got a lot of things going on around the world that are pretty tough. And so when you hear these kinds of stories, it's super, super energizing. What about switching off from people and responsibilities and all that, all that important stuff? What do you do? What do you do to zen out, chill out? Do you cook? Do you meditate? Do you charge the crystals? What do you do? <laughs> uh, do a fair bit of uh, bouldering, like rock climbing. I'm starting to learn how to do lead climbing, which I'm excited about. Yeah, the, you guys are both laughing at the scratch I got on my head at the moment from a big fall that I just took. But I must say, there's nothing that focuses you more than not wanting to fall off a off a uh, a high climb. So, yeah, I think that's a good way of sort of getting my mind um, out of out of work, and then you know, really spending time with my my wife as well. And she's great at um, helping me make a lot of decisions because, you know, you definitely get decision fatigue. Like on the weekend, it's like, what should we eat? You're like, I don't want to decide that. Can you tell me what we should eat? Um, so, yeah, I've got a great uh, I got a great partner in life to do that too. Are you one of them ones who wears the same kit every day? Are you the Steve Jobs type of cat? Same turtleneck, same pair of runners, same undies? No, no, same. Okay. Same so undies. Just reverse them. <laughs> in fairness, I do wear Airtasker merch every day, and that is something that people make fun of me. But I do think it's also ridiculous that Steve Jobs literally had the same skivvy. Like, you could at least have different colors. You could have, like, yeah. you know, like, I get it. You don't want to have to decide, you know, what fits you and what doesn't. But you don't have to do black every day like you can have black and a gray and a blue or something <laughs> yeah a uniform's not a bad thing a oh, uniform's yeah. not a bad thing that's coming from uniform's someone who you know awesome. you, you like to show off his personality a little oh, bit you know he's talking <laughs> shit Tim. he's talking shit but hey you mentioned before rock like bouldering is that where you don't have a harness is that the one where you yeah. go up and no, no harness? you'd only be you'd only be a four or five meters off the ground i think or maybe maybe seven or eight meters off the ground and that you got pads at the bottom so yeah it's climbing without a climbing without a rope but not too high up how do you get into that? Do you just go along with a mate one day, like an open day, and just go, let's get into we it? We go on a hike. I'm, I'm going to climb that cliff. Yeah. You know? Are there indoor Well, I did grow up near the, near the bush uh, in St. Ives, uh, suburb in, in, in Sydney. But I, um, yeah, no, the climbing gyms are amazing now. There's, uh, we go to Nine Degrees um, Climbing Gym, and it's pretty, um, it's really accessible. Like you can have a latte, like they've got a cafe in there, 
you can have a latte and then have a climb. And one of the best things about climbing, you know, without ropes is that when you don't need to have like partners to do, you know, traditionally mm. you need like a, a belaying partner, mm. um, which, you know, makes it hard to do. When you go bouldering, you just kind of walk in and have a latte and do a couple of climbs and talk to people in between. And there's no one there to catch you and you headbutt the floor anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just solo. That's all right. So if you're lonely and you want a bit of uh, activities, head down <laughs> you're the, bouldering. Head down the I'm sure people are picking up, you know, at the at the bouldering gym. It's a like, you know, Friday night. It's a bit of a nightclub, I must say. I reckon it could be a little bit of a marketplace in that. What do you reckon? All the bouldering places around. <laughs> Singles night. Singles Single night. Or on the, on the boat. Well, you got the boat rentals there too. You could pop that on there. No drama. Hey, what, what about, uh, oh. what are you watching? What are you reading at the moment? What are you listening to? Yeah, so um, recently I, I both read and uh, and watched uh, a lot um, uh, about the um, uh, OxyContin um, and um, you know the Sackler family in in the United States and the the epidemic that they're seeing there um, in terms of um, narcotics and you know basically people taking painkillers and and the tragedy that's happening over there that was super interesting. So Dope Sick is on is on Disney and then the book um, that I read was um was empire of empire of pain which kind of um goes through it in more detail that's pretty interesting i also read the the book recently about another marketplace definitely one that you don't want to follow but the story of silk road um oh yeah the, uh, you know the dark web um narcotics uh website and that was um really really interesting because you know in some ways it's like hey building a marketplace in another way you're like don't do anything similar <laughs> to what um to what they were doing over there so those are the two most recent books that I've read. I remember Silk Road growing up and going, oh, I just want to see what's going on here. And I, 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 going, in, going in and seeing some of the stuff on, on, the, on the dark web and that, I could not believe some of that shit existed. Oh, it's, it's mad. And I think, um, you know, it's happening all around you and you don't even realize. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know, but like, you know, people like literally send drugs through the, through the Australia Post and the, and the regular mail and stuff. Um, I'd always just thought like, you know, I guess I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. I just thought that they x-rayed all those packages and someone was kind of across, you know, all this stuff that's moving around. It turns out that like, that's not really true. <laughs> like, no, I think they like to put a bit of spin on it to scare people, but uh, you, you can definitely show. get some stuff. Did, through you the watch Dope Did you watch Dope I love Dope Sick. Yeah. Michael Kate, Keaton's in it. He was the old Batman. Yeah. And I'll, and, Honestly, because I'm old Batman, he's the only Batman. No, he's the only Batman. Batman. He's my generational. He's my generational Batman. I must but say. bro, seriously, I, I was for someone on painkillers and that. For me, that was so because you could get it over the counter. It was so easy for me. I got it after an injury, and I was just become addicted to it. And I could understand how people could just get trapped in that cycle. Oh, it and, makes and you feel the, a certain way, you know. It's definitely like the as a operator of a business, like you do have responsibilities, and you know the, these. Um, you know, the folks who are making oxygen. And look, I don't know all the details and you want to take it, you know, some of it might be spin or whatever, but it does kind of feel like, yeah, there's a temptation to just keep pushing it and keep pushing it, um, you know, do what's best for business, but you've got to balance that with uh, your responsibilities to, to the community, I guess. Bit of ethics. You know, that's something that you constantly battle with, don't you, Rob? Oh, the ethics side stuff, of things. You stuff. love living life on the edge, don't you? Hey, we're about halfway through the year. What can we <laughs> expect to see from Airtask or yourself between now and Christmas? Yeah, so um, we've seen some really exciting results in our international expansion, which we're really excited about. So, you know, Airtasker, we've been in Australia for about 10 years. Um, we're now expanding out to the UK and, and, and to the US. Um, so really, really exciting to see, um, you know, going to a new market and seeing what we can uh, do over there. Um, you know, our results will be out shortly, but yeah, really, really exciting the growth that we're seeing in the, in the US and the UK markets and, and getting to play on the world stage. So I think that's where... 
the core of our um, uh, core of our focus uh, is going to be, and of course, you know, continuing to just iterate um, on the product and make it tighter. So you know, we continue to invest into um, our core product and just making that slicker and, and better incrementally every day. Few frequent fly points. Don't worry about that. You'd have the dressing gown on, business class. When you'd have your own shower, bed. Sure, yeah, man. I can't. I can't bring myself to do it. It's um. It's kind of like three X for for business class, and so. You know, I kind of think like flying is not fun anyway. Uh, why would I pay 3x to make it slightly less not fun? Like I'm like, I'd rather double down on fun, i.e. have an expensive meal. I can understand that or stay at a fancy hotel because that's like fun and more. I don't want to pay 3x for less not fun. I like it. You no, know, Timmy, you just go, I want the emergency aisle because it's a bit of extra leg room. Huh? <laughs> you get a bigger TV. He's climbing around, he's climbing around <laughs> the shelves. Anyway, hey, Tim, thank you so much for jumping on and letting us pick your brain. It's been unreal to chat with you and uh, good luck with all the international expansion. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. This has been a Wellbeing Network podcast. <laughs>